Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and on this week's episode I'm talking with Gerard Herter, the designer behind logos such as ACDC, Adweek, HBO and more to discuss his life in design, logo design process and more. But before we dive into that, I want to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. FreshBooks is an accounting software designed for creative professionals that will allow you to create branded invoices in seconds and set up card payments right from those invoices too, meaning that your clients can pay faster and easier too. There's loads more features than this, so it's well worth giving it a go for yourself and you can do that with a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and be sure to enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. So as mentioned this week, I'm incredibly excited to be talking with a designer that could easily be described as a legend. At 67, Jared Herter has lived a life of design with an incredible career that started out at CBS Records, allowing him to work on logos and artwork for some incredibly well-known musicians. He then went on to work for himself and that's when he worked on things like the ACDC Lightning Bolt logo as well as artwork for movie posters such as Star Trek 3. He's also done more than just uh, logos for the recording industry too, having designed logos for um, huge companies like Swiss Army, HBO, Pepsi, Adweek, PC Magazine. I mean, this list just goes on and on. Jared has done so much and it, it doesn't even stop there. I mean, he's worked on uh, watch style designs, magazine covers and, and so much more. Uh, in this interview, we discuss a wide range of topics from the approach to design when working at CBS Records, which was pre-computers, to how Jared's able to work with big names his approach to logo design projects, watch style design, logo design tips, and more. So enough talking about it. Let's get straight into this. Here is the interview with the amazing Jared Herter. I understand that your career started at CBS Records. I know that was quite some time ago now for you, but how did you originally get into that position? Well, when I was at Art Center College of Design, I was an illustration major. And a, a, a curious thing happened. We were required to take lettering classes, and lettering was probably the most hated uh, classes at Art Center. Uh, but I had just come off a summer of doing hand lettered signs for a store with a chisel point marker. And when, uh, when, as I began working on, on my portfolio, um, I started developing a lot of lettering, hand lettering. And I was heavily influenced by album graphics. And there was a Tower Records uh, not too far away from school that I would go and visit and, and look at albums of the 60s and early 70s. Um, so when I went to uh, New York, move, when I moved to New York, um, there were only about five places that I wanted to work starting out. And I went to all five of them and nobody had any openings or any work. In fact, New York was going through this recession. Um, they were going broke. It was 
probably one of the worst times to move to New York. Um, but I did see John Berg at CBS, and he gave me some freelance work. So I did some freelance work. I still went around with my portfolio, got other work. And about two months later, I had a card printed up, kind of an oversized hand-lettered card. And I went back to all the people and gave them the card and went back to my apartment. And uh, I got two job offers that day. One was to clean up typefaces at uh, sort of a famous uh, design studio or be an album cover designer. So the decision was pretty easy for me. Um, so, you know, I was 22 years old. I was hired by John Berg to be an album cover designer. Um, he, he liked the West coast look of the work that I had done. And, um, so that's kind of how it started. I bet at that age, you must've been so excited for the opportunity. It, I mean, it's, it's like a opportunity of a lifetime, right? <laughs> it was probably the best job a kid out of art school who drew and played music could get. And, yeah. and, uh, and it was, it, it was, it was a fabulous job. Um, I didn't last long. I only lasted about a year and four months because by that time, I had been doing so much freelance. I would I would run around at lunch times and go to New York Magazine or Time Magazine or just different different places to just you know see if I can pick up freelance work, and I did. So I would work a normal day, come come home, eat dinner, and then I'd work late into the night and, on the freelance stuff, and then go back into work uh, in the morning. So by towards the end of my my stint at CBS, it was getting very hectic. Um, so I re- yeah. I realized. If I quit, I'd have the entire day to continue working on the freelance stuff. I knew CBS would continue to use me, and uh, and then it would free me up to work at other record companies also. Mm, yeah, I can totally relate with that because uh, I have a, a part-time job. It used to be full-time, but I, uh, was, I've was i been working on the side for a long time, and it can get pretty uh, pretty hectic. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I wanted to talk to you uh, because the the podcast is about logo design. Right. I know while she was at CBS and also while she worked freelance, you you've worked on so many um, logo designs um, it, w- within your uh, career. So I'd love to talk to you about your logo design process, and I can imagine it's changed quite a lot over the years because when you would have started out um obviously there's uh, no computers right. um, at that time so mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to kind of hear um from you like when you was at cbs records what 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 did your logo design process look like okay well it, it interestingly enough a, a, a lot of the work i did early on it wasn't really meant to be a logo um, and if you look at a lot of, of those, like, um, uh, well, Boston was a little bit later, but, um, Ted Nugent, um, a little bit later was foreigner. A few of those, those are really designed as lettering for an album cover. And because I was on the young end of everything, I would get the newbies. I, I would get the new, you know, it was Ted Nugent's first album. It was, um, you know, when I did ACDC, I did work on their first album. And it was really meant to be lettering. It really wasn't meant to be a logo. Um, Those were sort of picked up um, in time. And if you look at, for example, Ted Nugent, we did do a consistent look 
of lettering for a good series of albums that use that same energetic script. Um, and then the title would be done in the same style. So, um, so I guess what I'm getting at is early on, it was just really meant to, uh, to have a feel and a look for the particular group, uh, that I was working with. And I think what happened is they just sort of fell in love with, it. for example, ACDC, which I didn't do at CBS. I did that on a freelance basis. Um, I had done, uh, an album called High Voltage, where I did some lettering, and then uh, Let There Be Rock, I did a different kind of lettering, which was the the bevel lettering we now know. And they had used some other typography after that, and then they came back and picked that up in time. Um, so I, I guess the point I'm making is it 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 wasn't really logo design as as you would design you know logo for a company. Um, yeah. It was really more artwork to complement a photograph or complement uh, the artwork that was being done for the album. Sure, that's fascinating because I I mean it it makes total sense. I mean thinking about it because um, you know if you are working on their very first albums, they're not going to have any form of identity, and by working on the album cover, you uh, you are kind of establishing that, aren't you? Yes, you're creating sort of a look or an identity for them, um, and because that was kind of my expertise, um, I did a lot of that. You know, I, I um, I'm, but you know, I did things for country music. I did work. I did a logo for the Oak Ridge Boys, which they still use. I guess the thing that's fascinating to me is, it's unbelievable to me that forty some years later, these things are still being used. It's it's crazy, you know, it's because when you did them, they were just sort of a job, and you do it, you do your best, and you go on to the next job. Um, so they, the fact that they had a long life is, uh, to me, is intriguing. Well, I, I mean, I'd love to find out then when you worked on these album covers, what what did that process look like? Like, what, what did the the behind the scenes um, sort of thinking look like? Like when when you was working on an album cover and you was wanting to create a, a piece of lettering, how did you go about? you know, working out what that might look like. Okay. Um, when I was at CBS, I usually would do one sketch. I would, I would do a, a drawing, pencil drawing and tighten it up. And I would show it to whoever the creative director or art director involved was like John Berg or Ed Lee or Teresa Alfieri. And, um, most of the time they'd say, yeah, great, go with it. Because I, I would design it and design it for, you know, to fit nicely with whatever I was, you know, was working with an illustration um, or a photograph. In the case of classical albums, I would design the whole thing. It would be a whole package because, um, you know, they were really weren't a client. They were dead. Most of them were dead already. So, so we were able to pretty much uh, do whatever we wanted. Um, but generally I would do one sketch and they would approve it. And then I would, I would do a very tight pencil and then I would ink it. Um, my, my job description didn't require me to do actual artwork. So a lot of the times John Berg would let me just take it home and do it and charge a freelance fee to do it at home, to do that part of it, because it really wasn't part of what I was supposed to be doing. Um, so that was nice. That was kind of an, uh, an added benefit. As I, when I left CBS and worked on things like um, Foreigner or um, Let There Be Rock or any of those things, generally I would do three sketches, three pencils, all different, 
And that way the art director had a choice and would pick one to go along. I'm sure somewhere in my files here in a box put away is probably two other ACDC drawings um, that I had done to show um, Bob Deffern, who was the art director then. Um, and then one, you know, one is chosen. You go back and, and ink it up or in, in the case of color work, you would do the color, um, which would either be done with color film or cut color or airbrush. Um, it was all, you know, everything was done by hand. Everything was was executed by hand. And, and that craft became um, a really important part um, of creating these things. One, one difference between the traditional way of doing things and the, and the digital way of doing, and I, I'm talking specifically about lettering, um, the, the secret to being a good letterer back then is you had to have a good drawing. You had to ha- be able to do smooth curves and decent curves, and you had to have even strokes. If you had consistent you know, capital letters, those strokes had to be consistent. Um, if we jump over to the digital age, you still have to have a good drawing, but the computer will do the even strokes and the computer will give you this, the smooth edges. Um, so what I say is that you, you can have all the smooth edges and com- and consistent strokes you want, but if you have a bad drawing, you're still going to have a, a bad piece of artwork. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying, like, uh, things haven't changed that much. It's only the, uh, final technology to fully render stuff up. Like yeah. you, you still need to be good at drawing. You still need to be able to, to come up with ideas and, right. and stuff like that. So, well, let me say one thing about that. Um, I, I, I love my Mac. I mean, there's no going back. There, there just isn't. <laughs> and, and I don't think I could do it anyway. I kind of marvel at some of the old pieces I've done and look at them closely and go, I don't, I don't even know how I did this. I, I can't believe I, my hand was that steady and, and, and all of that. But, um, but the, the drawing part of it is still key. I still have a complete drawing set up here. Um, the drawing does not go into the computer until, in my mind, the, the design or the artwork is 90% there, at least in my head. Uh, I mean, I may need 90% more time to complete it, but but when it goes to the scanner, um, I know exactly what it's going to look like. So that that's key. And I I, I had a hard time making that jump from um, you know from the analog way to the the digital way because I it really upset me that I had to completely relearn how to execute artwork on a computer when I could do it so well uh, manually. Um, but I, there was a period of time in the 90s when I was getting these um, computer-generated logos and drawings from art directors asking me to fix them, to redraw them and re-ink them. And the, the writing was kind of on the wall at that point because everybody was going to digital, but, but the digital was coming through production. It was not coming through the, the design part of it or the, the creative people. So um, you had a lot of people who were executing artwork who were really not artists. They were computer people. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I personally still prefer to do a, a lot of stuff by, by um, sketch, by, by right. hand. I, I mean, I'm fortunate uh, to have pretty much grown up in the generation where, you know, when, when I 
uh, went to school at like 11, we had computers at school. So I, mm-hmm. I'm quite lucky that I've grown up with it. So for me, the moment I, I became a graphic designer, you know, I was working um, on computers. I, I absolutely love doing stuff by hand. And um, uh, I, I know that you, you use things like tracing paper so that you can draw the sketch and, and trace over it to get a more perfect version. I still I, I go through a lot of tracing paper. I go through a lot of pencil leads. Uh, pen tells because sometimes I'll want it to be high contrast, so I'll draw it in in a pen tell. Um, but I I have a I have a drawing for everything because it, that's where it starts. It it always starts at the drawing board for me, and um, it's it just it's it you know it's just the way I work. It's always been the way I work. I I'm not able to look at a a page an eight and a half by eleven page in Illustrator. And begin drawing. It just it's it's too removed from my natural uh, instinct to look at a piece of paper, move a pencil around, um, and I and I always you know I always had this this sort of idea in my head that the sketch is in the paper. You just have to find it. You just gotta find where to push the pencil to get it right. And that's always kind of the way I've thought about it. Yeah. And, and personally, I find, um, I, I don't know what your drawings look like, but I tend to scribble when I'm sketching, when I'm thinking about things and sometimes I make a mistake and I notice something like, ah, oh, there's a, an idea in there that I didn't think of because I made that accident there. And, uh, you just can't replicate that looseness in a computer. And, uh, I, I see people jumping straight into, illustrator and and the work that they've done just looks so artificial because it 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 doesn't have any of that thinking to yeah. it and and also when i when i have like exper- i've experimented with tracing paper just to um you know just to try it out so i've i've seen uh, people use it and uh i i found it it makes you develop the idea further and you explore it in a different way but when you if you was to, to uh, work on that further in a computer, it becomes too polished too early. Um, so yeah, I I even though technology's changed a lot, personally, I I still think a lot of graphic designers should be working on paper at the beginning because there's there's a lot of benefits to it. And um, I don't know what you're like, but I spend a lot of my time looking at a screen. Um, you know, a good chunk of my day. So it's it's nice to get away from. Um, computer screens and you know spend some time on paper right well that you know I'm kind of the same way I mean there there's less time spent at the drawing board than there is at the computer because so much of the work is execution heavy Um, and I can work from a fairly simple thumbnail now um, on the computer because I know what it's going to look like Um, in the old days you had to have your final tissue nailed down exactly because all you needed to worry about or had to worry about is how that ink is going to flow and, and, you know, create a nice line or whatever, you know, whatever you happen to be doing. Um, Because that is gone, I can, I can work on, you know, use a much rougher sketch. But again, the thing, the process of drawing, of looking at a piece of paper, moving your hand around, drawing a certain letter and knowing another letter is going next to it and no different letter is ever going to be in that place. It, it allows you to, to be more creative and, and do more interesting lockups of letters. And that's, that's why logos become 
developed that way for me. Um, it's it's trying to find that little unique thing about it um, that that is interesting. Mm. I know you you mentioned earlier that you've got all of these sketches and stuff filed away. You should you should put that into a book. Um, I I definitely love to see those. So um, you know if you if you have any spare time, you should get it pulled together and put into a book. There's yeah. there's companies out there that um, you know help create these books. So. I'd love to see those. So yeah, well, I have I have pulled a lot of the old record ones out because I was thinking about doing exactly what you said, which is printing them printing them on a vellum or something, so they retain the same sort of sketch quality that 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 you've done. Um, and I do I do have a lot of um, drawings on Instagram. If you go to my Instagram page and go to my my feed or my page, um, I have the original ACDC sketch and Foreigner and um, oh, Billy Joel Turnstiles and Boston. The the you know with with Rogers tracing of the outline of the guitar. I you know I had the drawing of the guitar there to so I could register. Um, the pencil onto the illustration to, to cut the frisket. So, um, so yeah, those tissues are around and there, and I do have them also on my Facebook drawer, where to design page. If you go there in under photos, there's, um, quite a few of them there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to check those out and with the podcast, I include show notes. So I'll put links to those so that people can, um, easily find them. So, um, I, I wanted to ask you as well. So when you when you left CBS, you, you mentioned um, that you uh, went freelance and you've been doing a lot of freelance work on the um, side. But I've got to say, you worked for some huge companies. I mean, like Swiss Army, um, HBO, Pepsi, Type Directors Club, People Ad Week. It's, it's an incredibly um, long list. And that, that's a few of them that I uh, know myself. So I know working on your own, how was you able to to do that? I mean, they're, they're huge companies. How was that possible? Well, it it seems to me that back then it was a little bit easier to advertise. There were books like um, the Creative Black Book um, and another book, American Showcase. And and one of the things that was great about, especially the the Creative Black Book, it was a directory of people. It, they had a photography book and then they had one that was illustration and lettering and and all that stuff and they were interspersed with the actual listing so an art director looking for an illustrator would be going past an ad of you know of mine for example and um so there was more of an immediacy in terms of advertising directly to your market, which at that time was art directors or designers for me. Um, Now, in the case of something like HBO, you'll laugh at this, but at the time, they were a a small cable company that that was owned by, you know, was purchased by Time Life and an art director who uh, apparently stumbled on my work at an album cover called me in to to do it. And, and, uh, it wasn't like a big, big job. It was actually a small job that turned into a big company. So, um, you know, and that's just because it, it's so old. It's just, it's such an old piece. Swiss army was, a, was interesting because 
there was a gentleman, Myron Pollenberg, who worked at CBS when I was there, and he worked in the advertising department. They they had a separate department that would do advertising for the record business. And Myron went on to work for advertising agencies, and he was a creative director. And he eventually got hooked up with a company called the Forstner Group. And the Forstner Group was a company that um, distributed the, the Swiss Army knife for a comp- for the Swiss Army people, Victor Knox, in Switzerland. And they were sitting around a table one day, decided, you know, we should do a watch. And, and the word Swiss Army had not been um, copyrighted here in the United States, so they copyrighted the name. And Myron was working on packaging for the Forstner Group. And they said, well, we've got to get a watch designer. And Myron said, well, let me take a stab at it. So he, he drew up the watch. He called me to hand letter the dials and the hands and tick marks and all of that stuff. And we did the original, uh, we did the original one. And it, it just took off. It just became, you know, a, one of those funny, iconic, products. So I I worked with them for about 14 years and did probably 75 dials of which uh, maybe 25 to 30 were actually implemented. Yeah, I've seen a few of those on your website. There, there were, it, it's, it's so weird to, to see because you, it's one of those things that you don't really think about that somebody sat down and, and worked out where all those uh, different components should, should go. And um I mean, it's pretty cool how you eventually got into it because it sounded like they was potentially going to find a specialist, but you just happened to uh, be in the right place at the right time to get the opportunity. And, well, that's that's pretty much the way the entire my entire career. <laughs> you know, it just you know you you happen to be there. I happen to know Myron. Myron used me for lettering at CBS, so he said, "Well, let's do a dial together." And um, and we found a lot of interesting things about about working on watches, um, how, you know, how you have to draw numbers so that the ink doesn't fill in because the ink has a thickness and all these numbers are so tiny on it. So there's ways of drawing numbers where you, um, you exclude parts of the numbers. I call them notches, um, that when, when they get printed, those notches fill in, but they look sharper. If you didn't create a notch, then you would get a, a sort of a softer, curve within an angle and and it wouldn't look as good um the same another thing would be because you have a one and the two on the right and you have a 10 and 11 on the left you have a lot more weight on the left hand side so you you can't just line up the numbers and and have them be accurate you have to you have to kind of visually move things around a little bit so that so that overall visually it looks good. And I remember sending these dials, art, dial artwork to Switzerland and some guy would sit there and he would move everything mechanically exactly where it was supposed oh. to be and it would come <laughs> back. And I would say, no, no, don't move it. You got to put it back. Go follow my artwork because it's a visual thing. It's optics. And, yeah. and um, you know, you develop an eye for these things and you look at it and you go, why isn't that look right? And so you you address it and you fix it. So I, I learned a lot doing the watches. That was actually a, a kind of a great, um, great exercise for me. 
I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks, who has sponsored this season of the podcast. As creators, we like to spend our time creating clever ideas that give value to our clients. But a lot of us spend way too much time running our business, doing things like creating invoices, chasing payments and logging all of our expenses. And that's actually where FreshBooks can help. It's an accounting software designed specifically for creative professionals like you that's so easy to use. You'll save hours each week on all of the time-consuming admin that you're doing. And that means that you have more time to focus on designing logos and brand identities. Time-saving features in FreshBooks includes creating and sending branded invoices in about 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from your invoices, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when tax time rolls around, you'll also be able to export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks. No credit card required. Just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to the interview. Mm. Would you mind talking a little bit more about optics? Because I know you've done loads of typography um, in your career and logos and, and different things and and all of it requires those optical um corrections and I, I see a lot of uh young graphic designers well a, a lot of graphic designers in general they use grid systems and um they put all their artwork together correctly but um as you know like with that example of the the watches sometimes when you do that something just doesn't look right yeah so would you mind explaining more like how you would go about working optically rather than mathematically? Okay, well, you, the, the mathematical part of it exists, but in the end, your eye is going to tell you if there's something that doesn't look right, and then you have to fix it. it you know, a good example is I, I see the ACDC lettering reproduced a lot. And when I design that, the top of those letters, the top of the A and the C are pointed, and the top of the D is flat. Well, those points need to exist beyond the the horizontal line of the top of the D because there's very little um, mass to the top of those letters. Yeah. So those letters actually exist bigger than the D. They're taller than the D, but they're but they're they're optically done that way. So when you reproduce it, it looks like they're all the same size and. I look at some of these ACDC logos that people have reproduced and the C is always way too small because they're lining mm. up the point of the C with the horizontal part of the D at the top. So so the C visually looks smaller. That's a good example of addressing um, the optics of it. You know, the math doesn't work in that case. Um, you know, it's the same way why on a capital E, you always put the crossbar slightly above center and you do that so it'll look like it's centered. The same way with an H. The H is never mathematically centered as the crossbar uh, because it'll look too low. It, it's just our eye tells us that it's it's not right. So you have to make a, an adjustment to that. So a lot of it is just looking at, you know, you, you just you look at things, you know, you turn things upside down. One of the tricks that I use all the time is you, you might space something 
and it looks good spaced. And then I'll turn it upside down and look at it. So I'm not looking at the letters. I'm just looking at the negative space between the letters. And then you can find um, that you might want to make adjustments, you know, that a letter might look like it's a little, uh, you know, too close or too far from, from another, which you don't notice when you're looking at the word. Um, the other thing I think people tend to do is when they have two verticals, for example, a, you know, a double L, um, they always jam them too close together and they're not paying attention to the fact that if you have, uh, you know, two O's together, you've got a lot of negative space there at the top and bottom between, between those. So, um, so you have to, you know, you have to work for, the situation um, that you can't control. You know, another combination uh, would be an, a capital R and a capital A. You get a lot of negative space when that happens because you have these two legs that come together. Um, so the the optic change would be to move the leg of the R um, slightly in so you can close up the spacing. I have a, I had done um, a masthead for Architectural Digest. And one of the things, again, when you hand letter something is you can address those optics. The two R's are different and the two C's are different in that masthead. And the reason being is they exist in different worlds within the masthead. So you have to make um, you have to make an adjustment for that. And when you hand draw it, it's, it's very easy to do. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I think for me, understanding like um, oversheet that for me was a total game changer and it's it's funny like when someone first pointed out to me um i i think i I made the mistake on uh my own logo and uh i I was speaking to someone that worked on on a lot of type and he told me oh you need to fix your a and i'm like huh (laughs) (laughs) and um he adjusted it and i'm thinking now it looks too big, <laughs> but um, once I started to understand um, understand all of this, you see mistakes everywhere, yes. like mistakes in kerning, mistakes in letters. You can see, like like you said about the the A needing to be uh, slightly higher um, to compensate for the uh, the curve of the O. Um, sorry for the flat head. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you know to compensate for that and how you mentioned that that people have changed that you see that type of thing all over the place and and i think just understanding these minor uh optical tweaks that that you need to do for me that that leveled up all of my work so i hope anyone listening to this that doesn't currently apply um optical adjustments to any of their work definitely do it it will make a massive difference and i think the best way to learn it is by studying letters you know, to, to open up a, a font, create outlines, and then go in and study it because there's so many minor adjustments in, in typography. That's, that's correct. Um, and, and understand, too, that a lot of this I learned in a lettering one class from uh, an old-time lettering teacher, Mortimer Leach. And we would have to take a saying, I remember the sayings. One was the graphic arts, upper and lower case, that we had to hand letter in Caslon. Um, with the lowercase about an inch high. And you had to do a tissue of it. He would come in and correct it, tell you where to close it up, where to open it up, where you didn't have enough weight. And then you would put a tissue over and you'd do it again. And you would do it again and do it again until you had 
everything right. You turn it over, you put graphite on the back, you trace it down onto a piece of two-ply Strathmore kid finish paper, and with a Jalot one one. 50 pen point, you would go through and carefully ink the outline and then fill it in with a brush and then clean it up with white paint. Well, it didn't take very long after doing about four of those exercises where you learned a lot about just the optics of letters and the spacing of letters. And I don't think they teach that anymore. I don't think anybody is actually um, teaching people how to draw letters. And, and, you know, and you might say, well, why do we need to, to learn to draw letters? You know, we've got all these alphabets and typefaces and things we can adjust. Well, you learn to draw letters so you learn how to see. That's really the key thing is learning how to see things. Uh, whether you ever letter again in your life doesn't matter. It's just now you 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 can look at a set of typeface, and I'm sure you've said things in a typeface. You go, boy, this is horrible. This is a horrible typeface, or or mm. the hinting's bad, or you know whatever. Um, you know those those things. You know they're like it's like anything else. You have all levels of 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 work, good work, down to bad work, and and we just try to stay away from the bad work. Yeah, and um, I mean, since we're talking about letters, um, it, it's 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 really strange. Um, when I studied, like what, what I did is, uh, just, just as an experiment, I opened up, say like a letter A created outlines and then I started drawing over it just to, uh, just to study it. And it's, it's, it's so bizarre because you look at letters every day, mm-hmm. but you kind of become, they, they become invisible because you don't see the individual letters you see, um, you see the words that they're saying and it becomes a, an invisible tool, but, but going in and, properly inspecting them how they're put together if you ever start creating um your own letters and i think you know because this audience is logo designers i I think that's very likely that um people will be modifying or creating their own set of letters you can learn so much by just stopping and and really looking and i think you're right you know you 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 learn to, to 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 see um I, I i drive my friends crazy when i <laughs> you know pointing something out that, that isn't quite right and they're trying to work out what i'm talking about <laughs> well it, it's interesting because none of my i have three boys and none of them are really in my part of the business i have one that's a videographer one that's in in internet business and one that's uh um he's in in a marketing agency but it's very funny having grown up around me. They, it's amazing how much they know about what I'm talking about because they've been around it. They've just been around it their whole life. And in fact, my oldest, I mean, he can tell you any typeface. He can look at any typeface and know what it is. He's he's just wow. he's just sort of <laughs> trained himself to do that. But I think it's been based on this knowledge that um, you know all all these typefaces at some point somebody had to sit down and design the letters, draw the letters, whether they ink them or later digitize them or whatever happened. Um, and you know, we I tend to look at at everything as artwork because someone had to create it it doesn't just show up very very true now i kind of want to um since the episode is about logo design and we briefly covered this um earlier when we spoke about your experience at cbs but when you was working for yourself you obviously worked on a lot more uh logo design work 
I'm curious if your approach to logo design changed and and if it did, would you mind talking through um, how you worked from start to finish uh, working on a project so that we can pick out some useful insights from you? Yeah, the the change, I, I think the most important thing when I approach a job is the appropriateness of it. Is it fulfilling what it's supposed to be? Um, and generally, I mean, I, I do work on a lot of different things. For some reason, in the last year, I've actually worked on three band logos, surprisingly enough. And it's just because there's a lot of guys doing 70s type stuff and they want a 70s type logo and and they call me. And generally, generally what happens is um, I will give them three to five different drawings and and when I say drawings, they're usually comprehensive. They're done in the computer. I will draw that. I'll do my pencils. I'll scan those in and then I'll put them in the computer and tighten them up. Um, it, people have a hard time reading, really reading pencil drawings. They, they really don't have a good sense of that. Um, so I'll spend the extra time to execute them. Uh, so I have I mean, I've got thousands and thousands of words I've drawn that were never used. Um, one thing I like to say is I'm in a business of rejection because I can do 10 yeah. sketches for a client and he's only going to pick one. So I have a 90% rejection rate, which is really true. Um, but what you, what's nice about it is you have you have a lot of these letters that you can go back and look at that might inspire you um, to design something based on, you know, maybe a couple of letters that you've drawn um, that are custom and, and look interesting and you can flesh it out into, uh, you know, something else. Um, but generally it's, it's, it's basically that it's, it's, you show them three to five, um, we get around to revisions and then they pick one, you execute it, you do color studies and, um, and then, you know, pretty much finish that up, you know, you pro provide them with a illustrator file and, uh, you know, some high res JPEGs and just, you know, whatever files they need. Um, but, but that's, the, you know, there, there's no, there's no real secret. That's pretty much the way, um, the way it goes about. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to dig in a little bit more into like the, the way that you're thinking on these projects. Cause I, I know you, that you said, um, I, I think you use the word, um, appropriate. Yeah. Um, how, how do you know what you're going to work on? Like, are, are you asking any questions to the client or are you doing any kind of research or is, is there anything yeah, that you're doing to try and understand what's right for them? Yeah, there's, there's, um, I had an interesting project. Um, I'm not a golfer, but I had an interesting project to design a mark for a golf course um, in California. So it's the Monterey Peninsula Country Club, and I I was not that aware of anything golf. I'm just I just wasn't. And they put together for me um, a page of golf logos from you know golf courses, private clubs all over the world. And it was really interesting because I would have never gone in a direction like this. Um, they and they had a lot of descriptors about it. They wanted to be historical. Um, they wanted to be unique. Um, they wanted to have something you know that was specific to them. Um, it kind of went on and on and on um, with all these descriptors. But but golf logos. It, it, 
it's interesting because it's almost like when you see a group of golf logos, there is a traditional style to them. Um, they really hearken to the past. It's very much like seeing when you see college logos, shields, you know, there, there's kind of usually a shield or something that um, colleges have, um, which which automatically you see it and, and you know it's a school. You know, you just it just has that feel. Well, golf, golf logos are the same thing. And consequently, we went through many, many comprehensives um, to, to come up with the final um, piece that we came up with. And it was a really interesting exercise for me because – it was an area I didn't know and didn't know of and was not aware of. Um, you know, if somebody says, you know, here's a bank, let's do a bank logo. Well, you got a good sense of what that is, you know, what you know, yeah. uh, secure and, and all this stuff. Um, but the golf thing was a very interesting project, probably one of the most interesting projects I've ever been on, just based on um, kind of what I had to go through to get from, you know, from one to a hundred yeah 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 i've I've always found it interesting with um logos because uh one thing that that a lot of people uh speak about is that you want to differentiate from from the crowd yes. but um this uh, appropriateness you know uh if if you're creating something that 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 should be for a college you don't want to tread too far out mm-hmm. you know you want people to be able to recognize it as a college so I, I i always find it fascinating that you know you you need to try and understand what that sector looks like and then try and do something with something different but keep those yes. characteristics yeah. with it in some way well again you're, you're communicating something so someone has to be able to look at it and understand understand what it what it is um, because I was not in that world, I didn't really kind of get it. You know, uh, it wasn't a, until I was well into it where I, I, um, I mean, we, we came up with a really, I, what I think is a really nice mark and they were very pleased with it, but it was interesting because it had, it did have some history to it. And the history was that a, a sea serpent, what they call the sea serpent, washed up on the Monterey shore in 1925. Well, that happens to be the same year that the golf club started. So we took a sea serpent. They wanted to show um, land and sea. So we had a sea serpent and then we had a golf flag. It was intertwined in the golf flag. And it was historical. It had all, it had all of the things, but it took us a long time to get there to to uh, um, get something that what happened to be a logo committee could agree upon, because um, there were there were about ten people on a committee that um, had to obey this. So, um, and 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 interestingly enough, I you know I, I was contacted by them. I and and they wanted me to take a trip out there, which I didn't want to do. They were interviewing. Tons of designers for for this were submitting work and and doing Skype presentations and I did my presentation I didn't think it did well and then they called me and they had four people that they were trying to pick from and then in the end they finally picked me and it was interesting because the 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 guy in the logo committee this uh, gentleman Eric Heiser um, he he said the thing that we liked about your work is that it looks like a different person did every piece 
And I thought that was an interesting observation because it said to me that this idea of appropriateness to me is very important. It's not to create a style, it's to create the right look for the client, depending on who the client is. So that was kind of a nice, you know, nice thing that he said. Um, and in a meeting, he, he said, this is a guy that did the ACDC logo. We're not going to get the ACDC logo. We're going to get something for us that looks like us. And, and it was interesting that he made that distinction because I had never really thought much about, um, about that, about the style part of it. Um, cause he said, we looked at these other designers and, you know, it looked like the same guy did everything and, and we just didn't want that. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting because you, when you're working on something like logo design, you, you don't really want to have a style. You, you need to um, properly represent the um, business and, and uh, like, like you said about communication, you want to communicate certain things and you can do that with um, aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if, if you're an illustrator, then, you know, you, you want to have a consistent style because people will employ you uh, for that style and uh, that's, you know, they'll they'll be hiring you because they'll be expecting something similar to what to what you've done. But uh, with logo design, you know, to create the right solution, um, you 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 need to have a yeah, think about right. it. And I found I found it interesting with that example you said. Do you think maybe they wanted to work with you because you worked on the ACDC logo? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I I just I really do believe uh, because they. Somehow I got a hold of this, and I don't know, I probably should have, but I was able to see the designers that they were looking at in, in a page with some of their work on it. Um, and I think it was really true that the selection was made based on the fact that they didn't know what they were going to get. They could look at all these other guys and they could have a sense of what they might. Yeah, you would you would know what to expect from them, but from you, you'd, you'd solve it. Yeah, yeah, so that was, you know, that was... Um, that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you as well about something uh, that you mentioned in a previous interview you'd done. Uh, you, you said that you you primarily deal with creative directors or other creative people rather than working directly with clients. Is, is there a particular reason for that? Well, um, yes, there is. I, that, that has changed. I'm not sure how old that interview is, but the the landscape has changed quite a bit. Um, I think it used to be, if, if I go back to, you know, say the, the first 15, 20 years of my career, art directors knew how to draw. They went to art school like I did. They took a different direction of maybe being an advertising art director or, or something. And then designers the same way. So th- they're kind of clued into what you do. That's a specialty that maybe they don't do. So um, for a long time, I was hired by designers to, um, and, and it, well, actually I still am, to to draw and execute things. And it might be even something simple as an existing logo that is is old and years ago was photostatted so many times and it's rounded off and it's this and that. And, and what we're doing is refreshing it and redrawing it. And, um, you know, I stress that word drawing because that's what it requires. It requires someone to take a look at it and, and, and draw it. Um, the, the direct client, um, it's more common now. 
um, you know, I'll get a call out of the blue from somebody who's is, has no art experience, um, but they need they have a product or they you know they need something an image for that, and then I will I will create it. Um, but I think that's only because I've created a body of work that they could look at and go, oh, you know, maybe we could hire him because he's done all these things for all these companies. Not oh, he really knows how to draw a nice script. Let's call him to do a nice script for us. Um, that might be something that a, a advertising art director or a designer would ask for. Uh, whereas the, the direct client, it's, it's sort of starting from scratch. Um, and I've had some crazy jobs. I, you know, I did a, a, I did a job a couple of years ago and the assignment was to fill a wall, um, in a hospital rehabilitation room with words. And, the client came from publishing. He was giving money to this hospital um, to create this, you know, it would turn out to be a beautiful uh, rehabilitation. It looks like a club. It's got a lot of machines and things. And, and so it's for heart re rehabilitation. So I had this, um, this, I think it's about 10 feet high by 46 feet wide wall that I had to create something <laughs> wow. for. And, and so I told the writer, give me, give me some words, give me, give me lists of words that I can work with so I can kind of figure out what, what I can do. And, and it was interesting because I, I, I got all his words and there were four, I call them the four or four letter words, love, hope, heal, and life that seemed to speak to me as being, you know, four panels that I could work with and then use all these other words, um, un, you know, uh, list them underneath. So I could use those to sort of decorate around the main words. And, and I created these four colorful uh, panels. They were, you know, they were created and illustrated, but they were printed up uh, at uh, five by 10 feet and, and mounted on the wall. And there were about 111 hand lettered words that I did all kind of integrated and, and, and done. And I'd never done a job like that where I was actually kind of the creative director and taking it through to the, to the execution part of it. Um, so the, so that was kind of a unique thing to me. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I sort of call it my Sistine Chapel because it was, you know, it was about a <laughs> three month project of, of doing nothing but drawing, uh, words for this piece. So I can send you I can send you some pictures if you'd like to see. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I, I can include those in the show notes as well for anyone listening that might want to check it out. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like a massive piece, and uh, I'm sure there was a lot of work that went into that. So I'd, I'd absolutely love to yeah, see I'm that. Gonna, so if, if you have, if, yeah, if you can ping something over I'll afterwards, I'll email to you as we speak. Yeah, fantastic. Well. While you're doing that, I'm going to ask you one last question because we, uh, we've done about 50 minutes okay. so far. And I, uh, this, this might be a big question. So from your experience, um, I mean, you've been working on logos now for years. And, and I know some of those, uh, the, the companies were small when you worked on them, but, uh, you know, they become uh, fairly big names now. So from all of that experience, what would you say are the most important characteristics of a successful logo design? Okay. Um, well, first of all, one of the one of the things I like to say about it is that if you design a logo, you have to have exposure. 
because you can have the best logo design in the world, but if nobody sees it or it doesn't get exposed, it's meaningless. It has no, it has no meaning. It has no life. So exposure is a big, I think a big part of it. Um, of course, the the recognizability, the, the the color, those things are important. I think now what's happened in the last few years is that people are looking. You know, eighty percent of the time they're looking at a logo on their phone. So that's changed a little bit of the um, um, of how I perceive logos. Of you know, they have to work small because. Um, because of how people are, are, are behaving. Um, so that's, that's another thing. Um, as I said, the drawing's imp- important and the appropriateness is important. Um, but I think that just pretty much sums it up. I don't think there's a whole lot more than, you know, than that for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, what you mentioned about phones, uh, social media, if when you're scrolling through your feed now, I mean, some of those little uh, icons, uh, they're, they're tiny. Yeah. And um, if your logo isn't suitable to, to fit within that space, you, you, you know, you, you can't really see it. And, and companies are having to find um, solutions to, 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 to work with that. But I, I mean, there, there's companies like, like Google, they come up with interesting solutions for it. So, uh, rather than having one logo, they've got, um, uh, I can't remember the term for it, but they've got like a, a whole kit of, um, logos that, that, that they can use. So for example, they've got that small G mm-hmm. which has the four right. colors and then they have their main logo and then they have the, the four little dots. Um, so it's, it's like an identity system yes. rather than, uh, just a, a static logo. Yes. Well, there, there's been many times where I've had to draw, um, a logo that may be complicated or be a long title that will have to be slightly redrawn for the web um, and for small uses. Usually it has to be a little bit bolder. The letters have to be a little bit bolder, but more space between them. Um, That's just a generalization, but um, usually you find that's what you have to do for the the small, small ones. So they don't, they don't, you know, smash together. Um, But um, but yeah, I've I've done many times. I've done a a second version um, for reproduction, for particularly for small uses. So how would you? I, I know you just explained about you know increasing the the spacing between it and uh, making it slightly bolder. Would you actually just physically create a separate file that's for small use? Yes, it would be a separate. Yeah, it would be a separate image, and and um, you would you know you would make sure that it's it's identified that way, so somebody doesn't use the you know the wrong the wrong logo. Um, so, for instance, you know it would say three quarter inch, and you know it might be the name, and then three quarter inch, so somebody understands that it, at that size or smaller, they're to use that. So, how how are you going about? Um, making sure that that does look the same. Are you, are you basically taking the logo, making it smaller, and then adju- just adjusting it? Yes. It's, again, it's, a, it, it's an optic thing. You you reduce it down and you look at it and you go, okay, what is happening here? What is happening to the logo? It's getting too thin. Um, it's getting too jammed together. So, you, know, you, you make those observations, and then at a big size, you start to adjust it, and then you reduce it down and make the comparison. And, and, you know, and then you just kind of 
get it to a point where it looks like the one that's large. Because when it's down small, it does it doesn't it doesn't look like the one that's large. It's interesting so. because I, I haven't heard many people or seen many examples of uh, small versions of logos. Um, I mean, I've spoken to people about it before, but I've I've never really known the um, best way of, of solving that problem. So, um, thank you for um, sharing. Yeah, that. Um, the the it's 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 such a minor thing um but i guess when you you delve into these things as deep as i do um it's important i mean i i i think about going back again to the watch business where we had to um have the words t swiss made t at the bottom on a curve and that was specially drawn so that at that tiny tiny size that it is it would read and I, you're talking small. You're talking really small. And um, and the same with even the word Swiss Army. We would hand draw um, with that notching that I explained so that when it reproduces, it's sharp. Um, we even drew calendar dials. The, the, the numbers that you just see in the window where you just might see a 31 or you'll see a one or, you know, because the calendar spins around. And that was always an interesting thing because – the 21 is going to look different than the 22 because the 21, you're going to have a, a much wider two that you'll draw because it's next to a one. But the 22 takes, you know, those those numbers have to be smaller to, you know, to fit. So, um, again, everything I'm talking about is just really relating to what's in front of you and making decisions as to why they do or don't look good. Yeah, well, I I think you really stressed the importance of um, looking at everything optically. I know I'm I'm doing it with a project at the moment where um, if you can imagine this U shape, but there's a top part, the the upper part of it um, bridges in together, so it creates a, right. a drop within the middle okay. of the U. Um, when you when you invert it, so we um, the, the 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 main logo itself is. Um, uh, gold foil on okay. on a white background but when you invert it and it's mm-hmm. on a black background everything looks too chunky so i've had to make everything a lot thinner so that it looks the the the, the same um uh when yeah, it's on the black you, background you know it's compensating for that blurriness that happens when you invert. That's exactly true. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things we learned early on is when you reverse something out of black and it's white it's always going to look heavier than it does in you know yeah. normally and yes you if you feel you need to make that adjustment um then you make it so yeah well i i think it made a a, a big difference you know just reducing the the overall weight of that logo and it right. just looks so much nicer doing that so um i i totally agree with kind of everything that you've stressed in this interview about you know working optically and um you know i hope you know people that are listening that don't currently work that way um do work that way um but uh, jared i i just want to say thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolutely fascinating interview um i really value your um your time and um you know, thank you for sharing uh, some of the, uh, your stories. Well, thank you, Ian. With us. Um, I enjoyed it also. And I did send you some, uh, a few pictures so you could see that, uh, that one, uh, large job. So amazing. Well, I'll keep an eye out for those. And like I said, for anyone listening, they can go and check those out in the show notes for okay. this episode. 
So thank brilliant. You. Thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. What an amazing interview. Whilst editing these podcasts, I always listen back. And this particular episode, I, I just absolutely loved listening back to it a, a second time over. And, and I really hope that, that you've enjoyed it too. And, and if you did, let myself and Jared know by giving us a shout out on social media. I personally absolutely love to hear from people that have listened to the podcast. And I know that Jared would appreciate it too. So if you could do that, go on social media, give us a shout out and just let us know that you listened to this episode and that you enjoyed it. So to learn more about Jared, head to his website, jaredherter.com. Herter is spelled H-U-E-R-T-A. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode, which can be found at logageek.uk forward slash 63. That includes links to Jared's website, social profiles, as well as anything mentioned in the interview too, as well as A4 transcription. So again, to find that, head to logageek.uk forward slash 63. If you'd like to discuss anything mentioned in in this episode with me and over 7,600 logo designers from around the world, Join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and you can find it just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash community. Do make sure to answer the questions though, because if you don't, just as default, I don't accept people in. So many people sign up to join the group and obviously I want to try and keep it at a high quality. So those questions are there uh, just to make sure that there's some level of quality control. So the better the answers, the more likely you are to get in. So um, yeah, make sure you answer those questions. And um, I hope to see you in the Logo Geek community. So that is it for this week. But I will see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast.